Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, New Spring. How are you doing? Doing all right? Hey, it's so good to see you today. Uh, last week, uh, my dad brought just this amazing message. You know, my dad always says that the next message he's going to bring is the greatest he's ever brought. And the next series is the greatest he's ever done. Um, and I can tell you, I've watched my dad my whole life. And I really believe last weekend was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard him preach. And he opened up this series just so well because, you know, he was talking about evangelism. And that's what this series is all about, is sharing our faith, which is so important. And I, I mean, th- this is what I, I think is so cool. You know, the title of the series is Making Heaven More Crowded. And one thing I think is cool is that making heaven more crowded is much more simple than it seems. The way to make heaven more crowded is simply to tell people the way to get there. That's the way to make heaven more crowded. You know, because, you know, directions, directions are extremely important. Uh, about 10 years ago, I got invited to a wedding that was way out in the country. A buddy of mine was getting married. It was way out in the country. I feel like it's a hipster thing right now to get married as far away from civilization as possible, <laughs> which is totally fine. I love these weddings. They're great. Uh, but a buddy of mine was getting married and, you know, he was giving me directions and it, the, 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 the wedding was so far out in the country that when I asked Siri how to, how to get there, Siri said, I'm sorry, I'm not sure I understand the question. Searching Google for rustic barn out in the boondocks, you know. Uh, so I was, I was in trouble, you know, and I tried Google Maps. Google, Google Maps was no help because, again, this is a dirt road and then another dirt road, another dirt road. So I finally went to the groom. And I was like, look, man, I need some help. I just need you to sit down with me and draw me step by step how to get to this wedding. And I, I told him, I said, I want to be at your wedding. I would love to be at your wedding. I'm so excited for your wedding. But, dude, if you don't draw me a map, I am not going to make it. I'm going to be out in a field or a lake somewhere. And he was nice enough to draw me a map. And here's the thing that's so important. The thing that's so important is there's a lot of people out there where there's a destination that they're trying to get to. They want to have a relationship with God. They want to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They want to know that their sins are forgiven. But what, you're, what, 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 what our mission is to, sit, is to sit down and draw them a map and show them step by step and say, we know the way. And the way has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he's the one who can take you to where you need to go. And he's the one who can get you to the destination. And, and this is what's so cool is I was going to say that's our job, but it's not even just a job. It's a privilege and an honor for us to tell people the way. Because at one point, someone did that for us, right? At one point, somebody sat us down and told us the way, and that's why we're here today. And so, uh, you know, and, and this is what lights me up so much about what we do here at New Spring is, you know, we tell people the way to find God. And isn't it going to be so cool when you're in heaven someday and you get to talk to people where you know you were the one who gave them directions to where they needed to go. And I think that's the most important thing in the universe. And so we're talking about making heaven more crowded. And today I want to talk about the elephant in the room because here at New Spring, we don't shy away from talking about the elephant in the room. I want to ask a burning question that I've been dealing with a lot myself. And that is that 
we know we have a life-saving message when we, when we carry the message of Jesus Christ. Why do we hesitate sometimes? Why do we hesitate sometimes to give and share that message with other people? And I'm not asking that question in a judgmental sort of way or an angry sort of way because I know what it's like to have a hard time with hesitating to share the gospel with people. I mean, I'm an introvert, okay? So I have a really hard time striking up a conversation with people about anything but the weather and last night's football game. And even then I have a hard time with that. I'm an introvert. And so I understand what it's like to, it's hard for me to break out of my comfort zone and talk to somebody about spiritual things. And I don't know about you, but I, I worry that I'm going to mess it up, that I'm going to say the wrong combination of words, or I'm going to answer a question less than perfectly. Does anybody else know what that's like? That's, that's me. That's me. And so this is really, this is not even so much a message. This is us just having a family talk here about something that all of us have gone through. And in fact, this, is, this message is a nice, today is a day for us to take a deep breath. And, and if you struggle with anxiety about sharing your faith, this is a day to realize that everybody struggles with this sometimes. And so we're just going to take a step back and talk about the fact that sometimes we hesitate and how can we get past that? And I want to talk about a guy in the Bible who understood what it was like to be afraid of sharing his faith. And that was a man named Jonah. I want to talk about a guy named Jonah. And this is what's so cool about Jonah. God gave Jonah the mission of telling other people about him, which is the exact same mission that God gives us. But Jonah had a list of reasons why he was anxious to fulfill that mission. And this is what I find interesting. I think Jonah's list of reasons for being anxious about sharing his faith are a lot of the same reasons why you and I get anxious about sharing ours. And so we're going to jump right into the story of Jonah. And this is what you need to know about him. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was a prophet of God. So it was his mission. It was his job to give God's messages to the people. And one day God came to Jonah and said, I want you to preach to the city of Nineveh. Now, what you need to know about Nineveh, Nineveh was a city of at least 120,000 people, which would have made it by far the largest city in the ancient world at that time. And so God comes to Jonah and says, I, I've selected you. I've chosen you to give my message and to give my word to the largest city on earth. And as you can imagine, as you can imagine, that is quite a huge honor and a privilege. And Jonah, understanding what a huge honor and privilege that was, said, and I quote, no. <laughs> no. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Can we just take a time out, like, really quick? Have you ever wondered how frustrating it is when God asks us to do something that's, like, totally for our good and for other people's good, and we're just like, no. No, not going to do it. Um, I don't know exactly how God feels when we say that, but being a parent has given me a small glimpse into how God might feel when we say that. Um, a while back, uh, my daughter Sophie, she was three years old at the time, she was just starting to put words together into sentences, and usually it was something simple like, I'm hungry, or I want a puppy, or I love you, Dad, which I like that last one a lot. Uh, but she was just still putting words together in sentences. And one night I was trying to get her to go to bed. And if, you, if, you've ever, if you're a parent who's had a toddler, you know this is not just a 10-minute process, a 20-minute process. This is like hours long, all right? And I, I kept asking Sophie, I said, please, you know, can you go to sleep? And she would say, no. I would say, Sophie, you need to go to sleep. She'd say, no. So finally I asked her. I said, Sophie, why do you not want to go to sleep? And she said this, three years old. She said, there is no why. I just don't want to. I was like, there is no why? She's three years old and throwing college level philosophy at me. It's like, 
I, I just thought about this this week. She was three and, and she was using existentialism as an argument to get out of going to bed, which the first thing I told her was respect, you know, but <laughs> I, I just think that from the time that we're kids, there's just this part of us that even when God comes to us and says, there's something I want you to do, it's for your good, it's for other people's good, we're just like, no, not going to do it. And sometimes there doesn't have to be a reason. Sometimes there is no why, we just don't want to. But in Jonah's, in Jonah's case, I think it goes deeper than that. I think it goes deeper than that. Because I want you to think about the irony of this. God selecting Jonah to preach to Nineveh is a huge honor. It means that God has confidence in Jonah. It means that God believes in Jonah. It means that God thinks Jonah is the guy. The guy, I mean, when you select someone to give the gospel to a group of people who've never heard it before and there's hundreds of thousands of them, it means you have confidence in them. And here's the big point, and I think this might be true in your life and my life. God had much more confidence in Jonah than Jonah had in Jonah. And sometimes in our lives, that's the way things work. And so Jonah's, Jonah, Jonah's got this huge mission that God has given him. And he's like, it's too big for me. God, I can't do it. I can't do it. Send somebody else. And so the Bible says this. It says, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, which that's an oxymoron because you can never get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Say that 10 times fast. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord <laughs> by sailing to Tarshish. And this is what you need to know. When Jonah buys a ticket for Tarshish, which I'm still having a hard time saying that word really. When he buys a ticket for Tarshish, he's going literally as far west in the ancient world as you can go. Nineveh was east. He's going as far west as you can go. In fact, Tarshish would be in modern day Spain and he's in Israel at the time. So for all my geography nerds like me, that's a long ways to go. And literally he's going as far west as he can go because in the ancient world, they thought if you sailed past the Strait of Gibraltar and you went down up into the Atlantic Ocean, they didn't know there was anything beyond the Atlantic Ocean. You know, this whole North America, South America thing, they didn't know about it. And so they thought literally that was the end of the earth. And so Jonah's saying, God, I can't, not only can I not do what you're asking me to do, I would rather sail to the edge of the earth than do what you're asking me to do. And today I want to talk about four reasons why Jonah was hesitant to share his faith with the people that God sent him to. And I want to talk about how God actually worked in his life and helped to gradually change his mind and how God actually turned Jonah into one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. Here's the first reason why Jonah was hesitant. Jonah did not want to leave his comfort zone. Hello, America, how are you, right? Jonah did not want to leave his comfort zone. Let me explain. Most of the time, most of the time, the prophets in the Old Testament lived on the edge. They were living on the edge. You know, they had dangerous lives. Like, for instance, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Elijah. You know, Elijah's life was like a Liam Neeson movie, okay? Like, Every single day, the bad guys wanted him dead. He had to hide in shady places and make friends with unusual people, but he survived. Why? Well, because God gave him a very particular set of skills, skills acquired over the course of a very long career, skills that made him a nightmare for people like King Ahab. And Elijah told King Ahab, if you let your wickedness go, I will not pursue you. That'll be the end of it. But if you don't, I will look for the prophets of Baal. I will find the prophets of Baal, and I will kill the prophets of Baal. For those of you who've never seen Taken, I am sorry for what I just said. <laughs> that was weird. Um, but anyway, I don't know if it went down exactly like that. 
but Elijah lived life on the edge. He was always on the run. He lived a dangerous life. Jonah was a little different. Uh, usually in the Bible, when a prophet gets mistreated, God likes to put it in there so that way we know the, the, the difficulties that they had to face, like Zechariah and Isaiah and Jeremiah. With Jonah, we don't necessarily have a record of people just going after him tooth and nail. And what that tells me is I think he lived a slightly more comfortable existence than some of the other prophets. And on top of that, when you look at Jonah's name, Jonah's name means dove, and the Bible places significance on names. And when you look at his name meaning dove, it's almost like this guy's kind of a more peaceful sort of person, kind of like don't rock the boat, kind of more of a sensitive man. Like if, if Elijah was played by Liam Neeson, Jonah would be more like a Ben Affleck, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe like Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd is what I'm thinking of. Like Jonah was just more of a sensitive man. And so he, 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 he's, Jonah likes to be comfortable. And so when God comes along and tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go preach to the city of Nineveh, Jonah's like, uh, God, don't you remember? I'm the dove guy. Like, I'm not Elijah, like, you know, go hardcore kind of person. I'm Jonah. This is not my thing. This is not my comfort zone. And I should tell you, he was nervous about going to Nineveh, not just because there was a lot of people, but because Nineveh was famous for if, if they didn't like you, they would just impale you on a pole just for no reason. They'd be like, oh, we don't like this guy. Let's impale him on a pole. That's literally what they did. And so Jonah's like, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm very comfortable where I'm at. And so Jonah is basically giving God this speech like, Israel is my place. These are my people. This is my zone. I don't step out of the zone because I'm not Elijah, God. I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. I'm the comfortable man. I'm the peaceful man. It's just not what I want to do. And you know why that sounds familiar? Is when I read that, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror because I think about how many times I tell God, I just don't want to step out of this comfort zone that I'm in. And I know you want me to talk to this person. And I know you want me to talk about your word to other people, but I feel like this is my comfort zone. These are my people. This is my zone. And I don't step out of the zone. And let me just throw this out there. And I'm just going to let you do with this what you want. But this is, this is a point I need, to, I need to do. Making heaven more crowded means stepping out of our comfort zone. Making heaven more crowded means stepping out of our comfort zone. Because here's the thing. When I get to heaven, God is not going to ask me, Stephen, were you comfortable? He's going to ask me, Stephen, were you faithful? And I want to be able to answer that question correctly. I really do. And so that's the thing. That's the first thing. The second reason why Jonah was, the second reason why Jonah was anxious is that Jonah was really scared. I mean, let's just, let's just say it. Jonah was really, really scared. And here's how I know that. When God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, he could have just said no. Like he could have said no and then stayed put. I mean, but instead, Jonah had a flair for the dramatic. I mean, when God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, Jonah's like storms down to the port where they have the tickets for the ships. And Jonah's like, see that horizon? I want to go past that horizon. I'm getting out of here. Like, I don't know why he's British, but he's like, get, get me out of here. I'm done. I'm out. And and you can tell, not only is he very dramatic, he is terrified. He is scared out of his wits. He's so scared. And I can identify with that. Um, when I was in high school, I felt God calling me into ministry. And not only that, but I felt God calling me to preach. But there's only one problem. And that is that I am absolutely terrified on every level of this thing called public speaking. <laughs> That's a problem. Okay, because, you know, God's calling me to speak in front of people. And the number one thing I'm scared of is speaking in front of people. And so I'm in high school. And so I decide, 
I better work on this a little bit. And so I signed up for debate and forensics. And basically, it was nice because even though I was scared of public speaking, in debate and forensics, you're really only in front of like one person, which is nice. Only problem is that person is the judge. And some judges are nicer than others. I mean, I, you know, again, I was like a fish out of water. And so the first year, or the first two years I did tournaments, I would walk into a tournament scared and I would walk out of a tournament scared and depressed because I had this stack of green papers of judges writing stuff about me that was not so nice. They'd be like, Stephen looks down too much. Stephen doesn't make enough eye contact. This is a real comment. Stephen is always trying to get to a point, but he never gets there, which that one's still true. That, that's still true. Um, and so I was depressed because I had this stack of papers of people saying I suck at public speaking, and they were right. They were absolutely right. And, but intermingled with the criticism was some kind words, and so I just kind of kept at it. You know, I would just keep going back to tournaments. I kept losing, but I kept going back to tournaments. And after a while, I started to get a little more comfortable. I won a couple tournaments, and I, I did okay. And then when I graduated high school, I felt like, you know what, finally I've got my feet under me, and I feel like I'm more confident in front of people, and I feel like maybe God is kind of getting me into the zone that I need to be in. And so I, I just, I told God, it's like, all I need is an opportunity. Just give me an opportunity. I'm going to go out there. And one day, the opportunity of a lifetime called. I literally called. I got a call from my buddy Keith. And my buddy Keith, he organizes uh, student events in Wichita and, uh, you know, student Christian events. And Keith told me, he said, hey, we're going to have a conference. We're going to get youth groups from all over the city of Wichita. We're going to get them together at one church. And there's going to be hundreds of students. And I want you to be the keynote speaker because I know you've been working on this speaking thing. And I know you've been called to ministry. And I just feel like this is your time. And I was like, Keith, yes, I'm in. Like, I'm totally in. And, you know, I was so excited. I got my message ready. I, like, you know, got some nicer clothes. I probably still look like a dork, but I got some nicer clothes. And I was just so, I was so excited because I feel like this is my chance. This is my opportunity. And I was, uh, my wife, El, I was dating her at the time. And she and I went down to this event together. And, like, it was just electric. Like, the worship team was great. And it was just a great event. And Keith went up and introduced me. And then I got up, I got up on stage and instantly, within a few seconds, I realized something was horribly, horribly wrong. I, st I looked at all those people, looked at all those students, and I started to get really, really lightheaded. I started to, like, feel literally nauseous in my stomach, like I was literally going to throw up, which if you're in the front row, I promise I've worked on this. <laughs> but I literally felt like I was going to throw up. And on top of that, I forgot my entire message, the whole thing. Like, I was supposed to speak 20 to 30 minutes. Instead, I spoke two to three minutes. And it was totally incoherent. I don't even know what was happening. I was, like, about to pass out. And instead of actually finishing the message, I just walked off stage, like, mid-sentence. <laughs> walked off stage. And I walked over to Elle, and I was supposed to stay for the rest of the event. But I was so embarrassed, I went and found Elle, and I just said, can we just get out of here? Like, we just got to get out of here. And so she and I, we walked over to my car, and we got in my car, and I just put my head down on the steering wheel, and I told Ella, I said, it's over. I'm done. I mean, God's called me to preach. God's called me to speak to people. Only one problem. I can't speak to people, and I can't preach, and I'm terrible at this, and I'm scared. And I told Ella, I said, my fear of speaking to people is never going to go away, so it's over. And... 
you know, we drove away and I just kind of forgot about it. You know, I, for a year, I just decided not to even try it. And then our youth pastor at the time, about a year later, he knew my story and everything. And he told me, he said, Stephen, we've got an opportunity for you to speak next weekend here at the youth group. And he said, I think you need to take it. And I thought about it and I realized, you know what? Maybe I'm going to give it a shot. And so I said yes. And I started working on the message. And I, I remember telling God, I remember telling God, I'm just going to fail again. I'm just going to mess up again. I'm going to get lightheaded. I'm going to throw up on someone. It's going to be really bad. And I know you've called me to preach, but this is going to be a disaster again. And yet I remember God putting this verse into my head. And here's the thing. When God puts a verse into your head, you better look it up because it's really powerful. And God put this verse in my head. It says this. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Look at this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I felt, God, I felt God saying this to me. I felt God telling me, Stephen, your fear of speaking to people for me is never going to go away. Your, your anxiety, your nervousness, that's never really going to go away. But Stephen, I'm asking you to do one thing. I'm asking you to think about how much you love and care about the people you are speaking to. And all I'm asking you to do is to let your love for the people you are speaking to overcome your fear of speaking to them. And the very next week, I got up to speak, and I just felt this strength. Like, it was almost like I could feel it in my bones. I just got up, and I just said, I'm going to do this. And, and like, it, it changed my whole life because I was able to finally do what God had called me to do, and I've never looked back since. And all it was was just God told me, you want, the, the, you want to think about how precious the people you are speaking to to God, and let that be more important than your fear. I'm not asking you to get rid of your fear. I'm just saying there's something more important than that. There's something more important than that. And this is what I'm going to say. I, I was talking about my fear of speaking to a group of people, but this is even more true when it comes to speaking to an individual person that God wants you to talk to. Because here's the thing, maybe there's somebody that God has told you, hey, I need you to talk to this person about me. Maybe someone that you know that's going through a hard time or they need Jesus in their life. And maybe you're saying, Stephen, I feel fear. I feel anxiety. I feel nervous and I don't know if I can do it. Here's the thing. Are you willing to let your love for that person outweigh your fear of talking to them? Are you willing? Because that's the moment when you step forward. If you only listen to one thing I say in this entire message, please listen to this. The moment you decide to talk to somebody about God is the moment when your love for that person simply overcomes your fear. It doesn't mean your fear goes away. It doesn't mean that you're not scared of saying the wrong words or answering a question less than perfect. It doesn't mean that that goes away. All it means is that you know this person is precious to God and you know how valuable they are and you know how much you love this person. I just wanna ask you for that person that comes to your mind that needs to hear about God, I wanna I want ask you a question. Do you love that person? Do you care about them? Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's someone that you come into contact with every day. Maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe, maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. I just want to ask you, do you love that person? My hunch is the answer is yes. If you love that person, are you willing to let your love for that person overcome your fear of talking to them? And that is the moment when you step forward and say, you know what, I think I'm willing to have that conversation now. It might get awkward, it might get weird. You know, maybe I'm gonna say something, but here's the thing, I'm willing to step forward. And if you do, you will never, ever regret that. You will never regret that. And that's the concept that Jonah still didn't understand yet. Because that's why he's on a ship going as far away from Nineveh as he can possibly get. 
Now, before I tell you the next two reasons why Jonah was hesitant, I want to tell you the rest of the story really quick because then it'll make everything make sense for the next two points. So I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Jonah's on the run from God. He's on the land, and he's in the ship, and he actually falls asleep in the, a huge storm, like the storm we had last night. A huge storm comes up, and the storm is so big that it threatens to literally tear the ship apart. And it's so violent that the sailors are panicking and Jonah's still sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And the sailors go down to Jonah and they say, you need to wake up. There's a terrible storm here. Get up here because it's going down up here. It's getting hardcore. And so they wake up Jonah and Jonah goes to the top of the ship and he immediately realizes this is because of him. He's, he's the reason why the storm shows up. And Jonah realizes, I got to do something here. And so Jonah tells the sailors, he says, just throw me overboard. And the sailors are like, throw you overboard? Like, you know, you paid like your ticket, like throw you overboard. And Jonah's like, look, just trust me. If you throw me overboard, the storm's going to go away because God is sending this storm to punish me for not going to Nineveh. And so the sailors, they actually, even though they're pagan, they pray to God and say, please don't hold us responsible for this man's death. And Jonah thinks this is it. Jonah, Jonah doesn't know that he's about to be swallowed by a giant whale, which that doesn't happen every day. It happened in Massachusetts the other day, by the way, weird. But you can look it up, Google it, you know. But Jonah doesn't realize he's about to be swallowed by a fish. And so he, he literally thinks he's going to die. But they, they toss him overboard and Jonah lands in the water and the storm instantly gone. Instantly gone. And so Jonah's like, all right, God, you know, am I going to sink beneath the waves like DiCaprio in the end of Titanic? Like, am I, what's going to happen to me? And a giant fish comes up and swallows him. And it's probably a whale because you need a lot of space in there if you're going to swallow a, giant, swallow a man whole. And he spends three days and three nights in the whale. And God tells that whale to go all the way back, all the way back to Israel. And when you have three days and three nights in a whale to think about things, you probably kind of start to think about the important things in life. And when you're stuck in a whale, you get time to think. And so he's thinking about his life and Jonah starts to realize, you know what, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I do need to talk to these people about God because it is kind of important. And then the whale vomits Jonah up on shore, which I'm sure was beautiful. <laughs> and the whale literally vomits him up on shore. So I'm sure he was a sight to see and smelled great. And when he gets vomited up on shore, I love this. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad that we worship the God of second chances? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, wow, shocker. Uh, and Jonah goes to Nineveh. And I love this. I just want to read the full text here because I, I can't preach this nearly as awesome as it reads. So this is what happens next. This time... Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink at all. Jonah didn't even ask for that. He's like going above and beyond. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When God saw that they had, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. You know God can change his mind? 
You know, we look around at our culture today and we just say, you know what, is this irredeemable? Here's the thing, nobody's irredeemable. You know, God can change his mind. And God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. It's one of the greatest stories in your Bible. And this is, this, I'm going to try to preach this. I'm, I'm very inadequate to preach this, but I'm going to try to preach this. Here's the third reason why Jonah was hesitant to share his faith. Jonah didn't realize how hungry the people were for God. I wish I could preach this. Jonah didn't realize how hungry the people were for God. Whatever you do, never underestimate how hungry the people around you are for God. Never underestimate it because they're hungry. You know, Jonah thought, Nineveh, they impale people on poles. They're terrible. They're crazy. Like, I mean, they're not going to want to listen to what I have to say. And yet when Jonah went there, he got a better response than a Billy Graham crusade. All right? He got a better response than a Billy Graham crusade. Why? Because Jonah didn't realize how hungry the people were for God. And Jonah didn't realize, you know what? Maybe the reason why this society is so dark is they've just never had the gospel preached to them in a very convincing and powerful way. Maybe they've never heard it. And you know what? Sometimes when I look around at what Christian leaders are blogging about, which I, that, that sometimes can be a waste of time. But sometimes when I see what Christian leaders are blogging about or writing about, I see a lot of encouraging stuff, but sometimes I see Christian leaders blogging and they're just like, I just can't believe how wicked this culture is. Can you believe what that actor said about Christians the other day? I'm like, I've got more important things to think about than what the actor said about Christianity the other day. And they're like, oh, can you believe what he said? Can you believe how this is going? And, and this, this is the essence of some of the articles they write. They're like, why do we even try? I'll tell you why we try, because we have millions and millions and millions and millions of people out there who are way more hungry for Jesus than they are for this culture. Way more hungry for Jesus. And, and when I see Christian leaders complaining about how crazy our culture is, you know what? Sometimes maybe we should rejoice when our culture gets crazier because the crazier our culture gets, the hungrier people get for God. Because they get more and more hungry. You know, I looked, we, uh, this last year when we had the pandemic, you know how out in California they tried to close a lot of the churches and told you you can't have more than one person in there at a time? You know what a lot of the churches did? They said, you know what, we're going to the beach. And they turned the Pacific Ocean into a baptismal. And they baptized hundreds of people, hundreds of people. They got more people baptized than ever before. I'm telling you what, the harvest is great and the workers are few. There is a great harvest out there. There's a lot of people who are hungry for God. You know, we talk about shortages right now, supply chain or whatever. There's one thing we don't have a shortage of, and that is people who are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't have any shortage of that. We don't have any shortage of that. The question is, do we meet that need? Do we realize how hungry people are? And maybe you'd say, Stephen, there's somebody I work with or someone I talk to, and it's like there's a wall there. Like, I just don't think that I can break through that wall because every time I bring up God or every time I bring up faith, it's just like they just don't want to listen. I read a story a while back about a guy who was exactly like that. He, you know, he, he, was a, he was a young man who lived in England back in the early 20th century. And uh, when he was nine years old, his family went through a terrible family tragedy. He lost his mom. And then his dad was going through a grieving process about losing his mom. So his dad sent him off to a boarding school. So in a way, he lost both his mom and his dad. And not only did he become an atheist, he became a very frustrated atheist because he felt like, if God exists, how could he let this happen to me? 
And so when he got older, he realized he was a very bright student. He was not just smart when it comes to philosophy and all these things. He was a genius. I mean, he was like one of the smartest people that England had ever seen. And so he ended up at Oxford University, which is like the pinnacle of knowledge in the universe for academics. And he ended up at Oxford. And while he was at Oxford, he liked to hang out with a couple of guys who were Christians, who would try to talk to him about Jesus all the time. And because this guy was very witty, he always had a comeback every time his two friends would try to, you know, witness to him about Jesus. And his number one comeback is he would tell his friends, he would say, first of all, I don't think there's any evidence that God exists. And if he does exist, I'm mad at him. I'm angry at him because how on earth could he let the world be the way it is now? And so his friends could have given up. His two friends could have said, you know what? There's a wall there. We're going to give up. But they didn't give up. And they kept talking to him. And they said, look, you need to think about Jesus. You need to think about what he did for you. And yes, you've been through heartbreak. Yes, you've been through tough times. But God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And it's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, the seeds of what they were doing started to take root in his life. And he started to think. And he started to think. And one night, his two friends who had been praying for him and, and, and just yearning for him to come to Christ, they took a walk with him in Oxford in England. And they just talked about spiritual things. You know, they, they weren't trying to hit him over the head with their Bible. They just talked to him and said, hey, talk to us. Tell us about your life. And, and when, when that young man went back to his dorm room at Oxford University, he got down on one knee and he accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. And he became one of the greatest Christians this world has ever seen. You might know his name. His name is C.S. Lewis. Here's the thing. Never underestimate people's hunger for God doesn't matter if there's a wall there. You know, God can destroy walls. It happened in Jericho. You know, it happened. God can destroy walls. God can tear down strongholds. God can give you courage. God can give you everything you need to reach somebody. Never underestimate. Never underestimate people's hunger for their creator. And you want to know why I know people are hungry? You want to know why I know people are hungry? Think about this. When you look at our culture, if God didn't exist... If you got all the things our culture says are important, it would make you happy, you know? But have you noticed that even people where they get every success, they make all the money, they get the company car, they get the vacation homes, they get, they get everything. Even when they make all, get all those things, there's still something missing. There's still a hole in their heart and they don't know how to fill it. You know, one of the, probably one of the biggest uh, stories in sports happened back in 1996 in the NBA championship. Uh, the Chicago Bulls beat the Sonics, and, uh, you know, Michael Jordan was leading the Bulls to their victory in 96. But the number one thing people remember from that NBA championship happened after the game. Michael Jordan, he led his team to victory, but when he went into the locker room, he got down, literally face down on the floor of the locker room, and he was holding a basketball, and he was weeping, and he was crying, and he kept weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping, and nobody could stop him from crying. No one could stop him from weeping. Why? It was Father's Day. And a couple years before that, he had lost his dad in a tragic homicide, a tragic murder. And... In Jordan's mind, in Michael Jordan's mind, he, he had just won the biggest game of his life. He had just won the biggest game ever, but it meant nothing if he couldn't enjoy it with his father. It meant nothing if he couldn't enjoy it with his father. And here's the thing. If you look around at people that have all the success by the world's standards, but something's missing and they need something, it's because no victory will ever truly be a victory until they can enjoy it with their heavenly father. And it's up to you. It's up to you to introduce them to the heavenly father that deep down inside they already know they need. They already know they need him.
It's just up to you. It's up to you. The ball's in your court. The ball's in your court. Never underestimate. Never underestimate people's hunger for God. And guess what? Whenever that hunger is satisfied, they'll never go hungry again. So here's the fourth, here's the fourth reason Jonah was hesitant. Jonah didn't realize that God was giving Nineveh a second chance. If you want to know Jonah's number one problem, it wasn't even all the things that I've talked about up to this point. Jonah's number one problem is he didn't understand that he was on a rescue mission. He didn't understand that God was not going to rain down fire and brimstone on Nineveh. God was actually using him to give people a second chance. And so even towards the end of the book, Jonah's talking to God saying, I can't believe you didn't whack them for what they did. I can't believe they impaled people on poles. Hello, I can't believe you didn't just take them out. And God is trying to tell Jonah. He, and you know what's so hypocritical about this? Jonah needed a second chance. And yet he's complaining about these people and talking about how horrible they are. Whenever I see Christians, they just want to lob hand grenades of judgment on our culture and talk about those people. Can you believe what those people did? It's like, do you remember where you were when God found you? Do you remember? Do you remember? Because I know when God found me, I'm, I was a mess. I'm still a mess, but I'm a saved mess. But I'm just saying, do you remember when God found you? And Jonah couldn't remember, but God refreshed his mind. And I love this. Jonah told God, he said, I just don't know why you didn't whack him. And I love what God said. He said this. He said, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in this spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God is saying, you know those people that you were riding off? I love them. I love them. I will always love them. And remember when you needed a second chance? Well, I, I'm giving them a second chance. I'm giving them a second chance. And what's cool is I think even though the book abruptly ends with this verse, I think Jonah eventually got it because eventually my, my brother Jonathan found this. It was the first time I'd ever seen this before. But when archaeologists found Jonah's grave, you want to know where his grave was? It was in Nineveh. I think Jonah eventually got it, and I think that God continued to use him in huge ways. But this is the thing. When Jonah still couldn't get it, when his settings were still miscalibrated, you know what Jonah was asking God to do? Jonah was saying, God, you really need to cancel these people. You need to cancel them. You know, right now we live in the cancel culture. And you want to know why we live in the cancel culture? Because, you know, our, our culture has preached to us for years now, especially millennials and Gen Z. Our culture has preached to us that the farther our culture gets from God, the more accepting, inclusive, tolerant, and sweet it gets. Oh, boy, is that a lie. Is that a lie? I mean, here's the thing. Our culture doesn't forgive anyone for anything. Our culture, someone could step one centimeter out of line, and our culture wants to wipe that person from the face of the earth. Why is that? Because when a culture tells Jesus goodbye, a culture is telling forgiveness goodbye. And that's why you see what you're saying right now. Because we live in a culture that's kind of like Jonah. It's like, you know what? That person stepped out of line. God, you should cancel them. But you know what? We worship the God of second chances. And I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, this is what I think is so awesome. God looked down on Nineveh, and yes, it was a city with a lot of wickedness. Yes, it was a city with a lot of problems. In fact, it maybe had more wickedness than any city the world had ever seen. But God looked down on Nineveh, and he said, I am not here to cancel you. I am not here to cancel you. Maybe you'd say, Stephen, 
I, you know, you've been talking about sharing your faith with other people. I've never accepted Jesus into my heart, and I've done a lot of wrong things. I've messed up in so many ways. I'm so broken, and I've messed up relationships, and I've hurt people, and I've, I've just failed in so many ways. Does God want to cancel me? No. No. God does not want to cancel you. You know what he wants to cancel? He wants to cancel your debt. He wants to cancel your sin. He wants to cancel your punishment. He wants to take that away because in the Bible it says that without Jesus Christ, we are doomed to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. But God didn't want it to stay that way, so he sent his son to die on a cross so that way he doesn't have to cancel you. He just wants to cancel the sin that's in you. Because he loves you. That's the thing, you know, I can, I can say a lot of words today, I can talk about illustrations and concepts, but at the end of the day, my message is, Jesus loves you so much. And he's not here to cancel you. He's not here to cancel you. That's why it says in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, you could be saved, you're gonna get audited, and then if you pass that, you're saved. It's like, no, you will be, you will be saved because he loves you. And I'm gonna close with this because I better close pretty soon here. Um, earlier, I talked about the fact that when you step out and you talk to someone about God, it's because your love for them overcomes your fear. Think about this. There was another time 2,000 years ago when love overcame fear and it was when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was in that garden and Jesus knew that they were about to drive nails into his hands and feet. Jesus knew that they were going to whip him with whips that had glass and lead on the end of it. He knew they were going to lead him up to where they'd put him on a cross. And he knew that they were going to pull his beard out and put a crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus, can you, can you believe this? God felt fear in the garden of Gethsemane. God felt fear. Why? Because when he came down to be like us, he felt, faced the same challenges that we face. He went through the same difficulties we face. And the Bible says Jesus actually sweat drops of blood, which is a real medical condition, by the way. He sweat drops of blood because he was so afraid of going to the cross. But Jesus, but Jesus looked up and he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done because he decided that his love for you was greater than his fear for dying of you or of dying for you. He decided that he loved you so much more than he was afraid of dying on the cross. That was when love triumphed over fear. That was when love cast out fear. And here's the thing. Because of that sacrifice, because of him loving you so much, there's a deal on the table because God says, I sent my son to die for you. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave three days later. And the deal on the table is that if you accept him into your heart and life, he will come into your heart and change you from the inside out and offer you forgiveness and eternity with him because he loves you so, so much. He's not here to cancel you. He's here to save you because he loves you. Let's pray really quick. If you've never accepted Jesus in your heart, today's the day. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today's the day. Why? Because we worship the God of second chances. We worship the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances, seven chances. And maybe you say, Stephen, I've never accepted Jesus into my heart. Please, please don't leave that deal on the table because it's a good deal. Don't leave that deal on the table. God loves you so much. If you've never accepted Jesus in your heart, I'm gonna pray a prayer with you right now. These are not magic words. It's just calling out to God saying, yes, I want you in my life. You can pray it silently or you can pray it out loud if you want. Let's pray right now. Let's pray today, today. Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong things. I know I've messed up. 
but I believe you love me. I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And I believe that he arose from the grave. Please forgive me and come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we have a gift that we want to give you. Actually, there's a few gifts in this box. It's got a Bible and it's got a, a book called My New Walk with God that answers a lot of questions and just some cool stuff in this box. If you want this, uh, just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. Or, or you can go out to the info center out here or the one over by the student area, and they would love to give you this box. They won't hassle you, stalk you, anything. They just want to give this to you as our gift to you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.